Welcome to America's Top Rebbitzins. May this class be for Rafu Shalema, for Alec Batsara, and also for Lior Tobia Benhaya Ashna. If you would like to sponsor a podcast, please email us at atrebitsons at gmail.com. I am so happy to have on today's show, Rebitson Batya Bird Oved. Rebitson Batya founded and runs www.westernwallprayers.org. It's a charity that allows people from all over the world to access the Sagula, the protective ritual of having a Tamar Hacham pray at the Kotel for them for 40 days straight. It's amazing. And she also speaks to groups at, and at seminaries about the power of Amuna, faith in God. That is so, so special. Please tell us more about yourself and what you do. Hi, thank you so much for having me, Vera. It's a privilege to be here. My pleasure. Uh, my name is Batya Bordova, just like you said, and I live in the old city of Jerusalem, which is an amazing, amazing school. Um, basically, when I got here to the old city and I was in seminary, I wasn't yet dating. And there was a guy at the time that had been dating 50 girls over the course of five years. Wow. And he was on, you know, the top page of every Shad Khan's, uh, you know, list. And they were setting up with all the best girls and he just kept turning them down. So, so um, why he had his reasons for every single person. But so what happened was they actually gave up on him. Wow. And uh, they said, you know, he's got to be too picky. You know, maybe he's commitment phobic. I don't know. But obviously he's, you know, he, it, we're not going to bother wasting anyone else's time with him. So he said, oh my gosh, what am I going to do now? And someone told him that if he goes 40 days to the hotel every single day to the Western Wall and prays for just one thing, that that's like a, an incredibly powerful way to arouse Hashem's mercy. So that's what he did. Now, during the time that he was doing that, I was in seminary having incredible allergic reactions to every single one of my rabbits and shears. Yeah. I, I literally would walk walking in and all of a sudden, like everything would start to itch. Like the Ramchal, Monsieur Nassar and Sharm would start. And I was like, get me out of here. I don't know what's going on. So I wound up asking a rabbi, I don't know what's going on, but something's like wrong. And he said, go to another seminary. Fine. I went to another seminary. And since I didn't have permission to date in the first one, when I went to the second one, I realized, you know what, maybe I should date, even though I was a year away from dating at that point. And my friend came up to me and she said, Batya, when you're ready to date, I know your Z-book, um, soulmate. And I said, oh, come on, everyone says that. Okay, no one says that. Who's the guy? Okay. <laughs> Lo and behold, the guy that's been davening for 40 days straight. Wow. We went out just after his 40 days ended. And within two weeks, we were engaged. Um, he became my husband. We got married. We moved to the old city. We went full on. And... Um, and he started learning at his yeshiva and I started figuring out what I was going to do with my life. And I said to my best friend who was living in Toronto at the time, she was 28 and single and having a hard time. I said, you must come into the old city for 40 days. When you come to my wedding, you will stay for 40 days and you're going to the hotel every single day to Daven for Shido. She said, how in the world am I going to get 40 days off work? I said, I don't know, but try. So she walked into her employer and she got 40 days off of work. Amazing. I drove her straight to the airport when, or straight from the airport to the hotel just before Shkia. And on the 40th day, a guy that she used to date flew in for her. And unbeknownst to himself, he proposed to her that week. So they got married. I said, wow, we're offering this to everyone out there. And I started actually going to the hotel for people, to Davin for people around the world. 
And afterwards I realized, you know what, why am I doing this? Because I really should just go out there and tell everybody about it. There's all these amazing, holy, beautiful Siddiqui that live in the old city that spend their life devoted to spirituality and to learning. We need to help support them and they need to support us. Let them go 40 days to the hotel for people all around the world. Let's pair them up. And they need more than anything money and more than anything, everybody else needs help from above from every single thing they have in their life. So that's how Western Wall Prayers was born. And um, it's just an amazing privilege. There's so many stories from all around the world. We feel so connected to so many people from, from people praying for citizenship to people praying for custody battles to people praying for, I personally, my father, unfortunately went, went into a coma 11 years ago and he was, um, he was actually diagnosed to be a vegetable within three weeks. I've had someone praying at the hotel for him every single day for the last 11 years. He came out of the coma. He became a person. He's in a wheelchair. He's not 100%. He is, he's thriving. He hasn't had any issues. In 11 years, he's just been stable. He's become happier. I, I, I really believe that it's just for everyone. It's just an unbelievable added source. And um, thank God these people are sitting here. They, they, they do this for almost nothing. So um, it's been a big, big privilege. Wow, that is amazing. That is wow. That is really, really huge. And I have to I have to say, I also um, submitted some prayers to Western Wall Prayers Org several, several years ago. And I have to say that it was very powerful and it worked for me. And I'm just I, I it, yeah, it was about I was I was trying to get pregnant with my second with my second child. And um, I was davening and I, you know, at home and I was just really I was really upset and I, I emailed a friend who I didn't know that he was in Israel, but he called me from Israel. He said, Vera, just tell me your Hebrew name. And so I told him, I'm like, what are you going to do with this? He's like, I'm going to go to the hotel for you for 40 days. I'm like, why? Why? Wow. <laughs> and so he explained to me what you explained. Yes, yes. For 40 days. And he went for me and down for me. And toward the end of 40 days, I got pregnant with my second, with my daughter. Yeah. So it was really, really amazing. Yes. You know, I have to say that sometimes it takes more than 40 days. It depends how far you are away from the thing that you want. You know, if I, let's say I am nowhere near being ready for marriage. So I'm praying 40 days to get married. So it'll speed me up, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it'll shrink three years of growth into 40 days. I might right. have to do another 40, another 40, but wherever you yes. are, it just, it gets you so much closer. That's a really good point. Actually, thank you for bringing it up. That's a really, really good point. So you might have to do 40 days in, in more than one stretch, 40, and then wait a little while and then do another 40. It makes, a, yeah, makes a lot of sense. I've um, personally done that. I remember when I was trying to find a place to live in the old city, I had to do 40 days two times, but then, wow, it just, it just was right in front of me after that. It's amazing. That's amazing. It's such a beautiful place to live. You're so lucky. The old city, I mean, it doesn't get better than that. It's amazing. Um, <laughs> uh, every place has its challenges, but you know, at least we are a close. Uh, we are a, a close phone call yes. <laughs> to the master of the world. So that makes everything worth it. Oh, it's a hundred percent, a hundred percent. You had a pivotal life event happen to you that had a significant impact on your own personal growth and connection with Hashem. Please share with us the story of what happened to your husband, Gershon, the one that you were just um, telling us about, and how those events helped to shape your Muna, your faith in God. Okay, so it's a big story. It gets heavy, everyone. Um, sometimes when I say it, my daughter's like, but you're not even crying in the story. They're going to think that you never shed tears. No, no, I shed tears. It's just, it's been a few years. So, um, okay. 
my my husband used to, in addition to learning full time, used to run the yeshiva called Birkas Torah. And that made him a very busy man. Yeah. <laughs> um, he was basically responsible for the entire budget and, and learned. I was running Western World Prayers. We had a bunch of little kids, you know, living in the old city. It means your house is pretty much open to all the seminary and yeshiva boys and all the people that are just coming off the hotel, et cetera. And you're busy, you're busy in life. So we actually, we were told by a rabbi, you must go on date night once a week. Absolutely. And not only that, but we actually added to that, that every six weeks we will go away for a couple of days. And that was the way we still were able to know each other after our very busy lives. So when it came to my husband's 40th birthday, he said, we're going. And um, he happened to have points, you know, you have to get uh, very resourceful when, when you live this type of lifestyle abroad, unless you have, you know, some nice parents with big purse strings, but otherwise you have to figure out what to do. And what he would do is he would often get credit card points. And so we had points to go to a place um, for Shabbos, a very spiritual place called Tel Aviv. Maybe you've heard of it. And um, <clears throat> anyways, so so Arab Shabbos, he would always go into the mikvah and we would find a place. He used to be a lifeguard when he lived in Chicago. And we would always find a place where they're, you know, secluded. There weren't people and we would go in. Now, this Arab Shabbos, we did not know, but there was a storm coming. And we also didn't know that... Um, Israel's waters are some of the most dangerous waters in the entire world. And he went swimming. And what he does when he goes swimming is he goes into the ocean, deep into the ocean, past all of the waves. And after the waves, he starts to go back and forth and back and forth. And those are his laps. Now, it's very hard to see someone that swims that far out. But of course, he's a lifeguard. He, you know, he saves people. So our family all got used to this over the years that that's what he does but um this time because of the storm brewing there was a lot of debris in the water and um there was a wave that had hit him and it had a piece of big debris in it and it actually knocked him unconscious in the middle of the ocean and he didn't even know because <laughs> he wasn't conscious that he drowned now, miraculously, um, after about 20 minutes, I did see him. And after a cry that I can only describe, you know, split the heavens, I literally opened my eyes and, and he was at the shore. He was literally at the shore. The waves had brought him all the way back to shore and me and a passerby and someone else I didn't recognize just ran over. I started doing CPR on him. They started to help me do CPR. And I paced back forth and back and forth just calling every single person I could possibly imagine to get this gadol to daven for him and that gadol to daven for him and begged his students to all go to the hotel to to cry to cry because what I witnessed there I don't wish upon any human being in the world to witness such a traumatic scene yeah. and um, I just I knew that if we had absolutely any hope of him coming back it was just from his Talmudim's tears now I spent the next 36 hours with him in the hospital by myself, lighting candles for Shabbos and trying the best that I could, you know, to keep Shabbos within a non-Shomer Shabbos, Shabbos hospital. Because all I kept thinking was if I break halacha to be there for him, he's going to kill me. Okay. <laughs> I don't care if he makes it or not. He's going to kill me either now or when I go upstairs. Why did you do that? You know, it's okay. I'll be fine. But what about your neshama? So, um, 
it was a really intense, uh, if I can describe intense, I've written a lot of articles actually about those times that I was in the hospital with him. It was one of those do or die surreal moments where you pledge every mitzvah you could possibly imagine and every shekel you've ever made, make every deal with God. And I remember giving forgiveness. I remember begging for forgiveness, talking out my entire life, trying as hard as I could to see if there was anything that I could possibly do to, to change the decree. Now in the end, there wasn't, there wasn't anything I could do. And um, you asked me what I learned yeah. from it. Mm -hmm. I can tell you that I've had a lot of spiritual experiences in my life. Before I came to Jerusalem, I had spent some time being a corporate lawyer at a very fancy, fancy firm. And I'd been very disenchanted with that. I'd spent some time basically producing a movie. And I decided that I was going to search the world for what life was about. And through that searching, I spent many months, you know, um, in search of the Dalai Lama and many months doing all different types of spiritual techniques, including 10 days silent from 4 a.m. to 10 p.m. Um, and different yoga retreats, learning all different kinds of specialties of, of every different kinds. And I will tell you that I have never had a spiritual experience so profound as the one that I had on my husband's deathbed. Wow. Which is the exact opposite of what you could possibly imagine, right? I mean, people were there, there was doctors, all they saw was a flat line. And God just opened up a portal for me. And he allowed me an experience to show me where my husband was going and what he had actually accomplished in his life and the beauty and the magnificence of where we're all from and where we are all going. And that experience of literal bliss gave me enough incentive, enough peace, and enough motivation to give over to everyone else that death is not his end that death is not final, that he was experiencing his reward in his death, and that if anything, our continuation is the hard part. Yeah. For him, he has everything he could ever want and more, except maybe a few more years. But I needed to take all of that, that beauty that Hashem gave me to experience. And it was really just a gift because I was a 39-year-old widow left without family to raise a 9-year-old, a 7-year-old, a 5-year-old, a 3-year-old, and a 1-year-old who had just oh started walking, who would never, ever know his father. Wow. And motherhood was not exactly my forte. <laughs> it really wasn't. I mean, I'm one of those people who, you know, loves to be alone in the, in the woods and by myself or with my husband. I mean, motherhood was something that I worked on very, very hard. It does not come naturally to me. 
And so I needed every single possible thing that Hashem could give me in order to help me do something that was impossible for me at the moment. And I, all I could do, all I could say is from where it all comes from is where we also need to go to gain all of the strength back. Devon Melech says, I'm not going to run from you. I'm going to go to you. You're the source of my suffering and you're the source of all of my healing. You are everything. You made this. Everything is exactly perfect, exactly the way it's supposed to be. And only you can help me through this. And so the entire time I just said, God, help me put one foot in front of the other. You did this. You put me here. I personally think you made a mistake. They say that the Torah says that you can handle every single Messiah that, that uh, you're given. I said, I think you probably got the wrong address, <laughs> but you did it anyway, because I can't handle this. So you got to just let, take me through this. What do I do now? And what do I do now? And what do I do in the next minute? What do I do in the next minute? Because right now I don't have what it takes, but I'm just going with you. I'm going to open my mouth to help me talk. And that's what I did up until this day. Wow. And that really, I mean, those events really helped to shape your Amun or your faith in God, like that you, you didn't turn away from him because he gave you this really, really hard test and this really hard tragedy. You didn't, I, I don't want to say maybe you weren't upset with him or angry with him. I mean, I'm sure you had your emotions toward him, but you didn't turn away from him. Instead, you turned toward him and you really strengthened your faith in him. And I think that's really, really incredible and such a powerful lesson for everyone to learn from this. You know, like, like you said, Hashem is a source of the suffering, but he's also the source of the healing. So like this, <clears throat> Hashem likes to test us. Yes. You know, it's a funny thing, life. <laughs> I remember my husband once asked a Shaila, he said, you know, I noticed, and this is such a politically incorrect thing to say, and such a, such a, like a downer, but I'm going to say it anyway. Go for it. My husband used to say, you know, it's really weird. Sometimes when a person does tshuva, they start to get more suffering in their life. Yes. And he went to a rabbi and he said, what's, what's the story here? And the rabbi said, I'm going to tell you something you don't like. He said, now you're at the level to be able to handle this suffering. Before you weren't at the level to be able to handle it. Meaning the entire purpose of life is to grow and to become better and to come closer to your potential. And if Hashem hands you a certain amount of suffering and you can't, ha and you can't handle it, it's just going to kill you. So that's not the go down. So he's not going to give you that. But at the point where he feels like you can use this thing, because suffering is really just a thing. It's very, very painful, but it's really just an energy. It's a tool. It's the tool to use. You can either use it to kill, to literally like eat yourself up. So if God actually feels this is a person who, and I'm not going to forget about me because I really think it was a mistake, but he was thinking if this is a person that can handle this gift, this suffering and use it to be able to become a much better person, a more empathetic person, a more giving person, a more humble person, a more enlightened person, then I'm going to give it to them. This is their tool. And then it's going to be their choice if they take it and use it for better. But I know that this person where they're holding, they actually have the strength they need to use it for good. That's what it means. 
when you can handle a test. It means this person has a place in them that they can say, I'm going to take this suffering and I'm going to use it to grow. And it's not too much for them. That It's not beyond their free will point to be able to say that. And so it must be a struggle because Hashem doesn't give us anything that's not a struggle. Otherwise, we wouldn't have any free will. and We wouldn't actually get anywhere through the struggle. Meaning, if it's not a real game for us, if it's not a real struggle, what's the point? We're here to develop ourselves. We're here to become bigger. We're here to grow our muscles, our muscles of imuna, our muscles of kindness, our muscles of, of strength. We're here to grow them. So when we're given something, it has to be that we have those muscles to be able to say, I can choose. I can choose to look at that and say, I'm going to take it and grow stronger. I don't think I don't have anger to God. I had anger to God. I suppressed it for a while because I said, I cannot handle my anger to God right now. Right now, I just have to look at the final point, And I know that everything I'm given, good and bad, is just to come closer to God. Good and painful. I don't even want to call it bad. Everything good and painful is here to come closer to God for everyone. And the only difference of whether or not we come closer to God through it is our own behavior, is our own choice. But when we use it to come closer to God, we can fly in every single suffering. There is so much blessing. There is so much. You, how do you get oil? You squeeze an olive. You squeeze it out. When you are forced to go into a situation, you then only then can you see what you can handle. When, when I'm saying, when you're asking me whether or not I relied on my Amuna, my Amuna was built before, but when you have to actually walk the walk rather than talk the talk, it's a whole different level of Amuna that's, and that's a different level. It's one thing to believe something and to know something. And the next day, it's another thing to act when you're tested with it. That's a different level. So if Hashem wants to say, Hashem wants to help you build your Amuna, he'll actually put you in a situation where you have to use it. You have to click it in. You have to say, no, I can't see you, God, right now, but I know you're there. How do I know? I don't know. I just know. I know you're there, and I know it's for the best. And maybe only a year from now, you're going to see the good stuff. But during that year, when you were able to say, I know it's for the best, I know it's for the best, I know it's for the best, that's when you actually built your Amuna. And that, then you have it forever until the next test. <laughs> that's amazing. And so key. It's so like you hit the nail right on the head while you're going through it. And you really can't understand the suffering and you're in the suffering and you're feeling the suffering and the pain. It's so hard, but that's, that's the growth. That's like when you're at the gym lifting that 500 pound weight. That's like when it's really, really, really hard. That's when you're building the Amuna and it's, it's, it's faith. It's faith that Hashem is doing this and he's doing this for a purpose and the purpose is for the best. He's doing this for your own good, even if it doesn't feel like that. And that's when you're building the muscle. And it doesn't mean you have to be happy and it doesn't mean it has to feel good. And it doesn't right. mean anything. It just means, you know, it's coming from him yes. and you know exactly what your soul is supposed to do. And when you know that that specific thing is exactly what is right for your soul, then there's no questions. There's just, what do I do now, God? Help me through this, God. I understand this is exactly what my soul is supposed to do in this world it doesn't feel you are and so if this is what i'm supposed to go through let me just do it let me do it in the best way just take me to the next step and the next step the next step and carry me through it right exactly exactly i mean you went through such a significant loss then through a harrowing period of recovery 
but then you eventually remarried and you moved forward with your life. I mean, you're truly a strong and inspiring person and we can all learn so much from you. After all has been said and done, you learned a tremendous amount about yourself, about Hashem and about the purpose of life. And of all the things that you learned through this whole period and beyond, what is the one thing that stands out as being one of the most important nuggets of wisdom that you can share with us? I think the best thing that I can tell you is, you know, one of the hardest things I will say when I became a widow, other than, you know, the complete destruction of my life and <laughs> everything I thought it was, was the fact that before I was a widow, I was on top of the world. I was the one that was doing chesed. People were coming to me for advice, for money, for Shabbos meals. And in a flash, I am a nebuch. I am a charity case. I am someone to, to pity. I am someone to give to. Wow. I mean, what an identity switch in five seconds that I didn't even realize comes along with death. All of a sudden, I'm a different person. I'm not a, I'm not a have. I'm a have not. Until I finally realized, you know what? Sometimes Hashem puts you on the giving end and on the big end. And sometimes Hashem puts you on the receiving end so that someone else can give. We can't take this world too seriously. You know, we come into the world and we're this woman or we're this wife or we're this learner. And we, we want to do a good job at what we're doing. So we start to take very, very seriously and we start to become very, very good at it. And then something like this happens and you just get knocked into reality, which is, this is not actually who we are. What we are is a soul in evolution. And we're coming back here lifetime after lifetime to learn all of the lessons that we didn't learn before so we can become as great as we can become. And so when all these things happen to us, all these jarring things, all of a sudden when a person is a tennis player and the next day they're a paraplegic. You know, who are they? Are they a gold medal winner or are they, you know, someone who's in a handicapped parking space? You're neither. You are a soul that Hashem created to come into this world to learn all these beautiful lessons. So just do it. So just do it. Stop fighting what is and what you don't want to be and what you wish would be and accept what is so that you can use all of your energy to actually grow from the place where you are because you'll never be at a different place. Right. That is so powerful. That's, that's, that's the message for life. That's exactly the message for life. That's amazing. Wow. Um, so right before we end, I just wanted to see if people want to have somebody daven for them at the Western Wall Prayers at your organization, how can they go about, um, is there a website they can visit or how can they sign up? Yeah, thank you very much. Okay, so at www.westernwallprayers.org. Just come in contact with us and we'll set you up with whoever you like. And um, we'll tell them as much information as you want, as little information as you want. Your anonymity is 100% guaranteed. Um, but as much as you tell the, your person that's praying for you at the hotel, the more kavana, the more intent they can have. And God willing, everyone will just reach their pinnacle. We all need everybody to reach their their uh, their greatness right now because we're nothing Amen. without all of us together. We're so much bigger than the sum of our parts. I mean, I mean, for sure. I totally agree. Thank you so much, Rebbits and Batya, for taking the time to join us on America's Top Rebbitsons. We really enjoyed having you here and we learned so much. I think you nailed the lessons of life right on the head. So thank you for that. And we hope this class will be for Rafur Shalema, for Alec Batsara, and also for Lear Tovia Benhaya Ashta. Thank you so much. Thank you, Vera.